Hello, listeners, and welcome back to Stories in the Dark. This is season three of our spooky little podcast, and our theme this season is Monsters and Mayhem. I hope you enjoy our stories, because we certainly enjoy you. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. If you haven't yet, please make sure to go download a copy of our book, Stories in the Dark, Volume 1, The Horror. It's 13 tales of horror from our first three seasons of the podcast. But really, it's 12 plus a new one that you've never heard. It's pretty good. I think you'll like it. Definitely go download it. It's free on Kindle Unlimited, or you can buy the ebook or even order a paperback if you want a copy in your hot little hands. But this week, we have a whole new story for you. It's called The Baby. The new baby comes home today. Mother has been in the hospital for three days. Three days of the housekeeper making dinner without supervision. Three days of waiting. I asked father every one of those three days, is it a brother or a sister? For they had declined to find out beforehand. Even now, as I asked him for the millionth time, he shakes his head and doesn't answer. But I cannot wait for the baby to come home. A little sister with long hair like mother's that I can braid while we lie in bed and whisper secrets to each other. Or a tiny little brother with golden curls. I do not care. I do not care. I sing and spin and spin and sing and tell father to get his shoes on faster so he can go get mother and the baby and bring them home. The nanny is fussing about in the baby's room, the nursery, the room that used to be mine. They have decorated, or rather, they have had it decorated, for mother and father do not have time, in yellows and greens with a dash of purple. There are no clues there for me. I fondle a stuffed duck in the nanny's size and places it perfectly again on the dresser. No toys in the crib, of course. No toys that could smother or choke the baby. I try to talk to her, but she's too busy to listen, so I flurry and flounce down the hallway. I twirl and unfurl and sing my little song as I test the rails and dig my toes in the runner and then dance madly down the stairs and into the kitchen to look for a bit of cake. They ought to at least leave me some cake, I think. I find some in the ice box, still in its bakery box, and I am feeling very naughty as I dig in with my hands and pull out fistfuls of cake that I cram in my mouth, waiting, waiting for that burst of sugary goodness, that jolt. It comes, but it is dull as doldrums compared to my excitement that the baby is coming home today. I chew and I lick the icing, 
And then I turn the cake so the mangled side is to the back of the bakery box. And then I retie the little string and set it carefully back in the icebox. I have frosting all over my hands still and frosting under my nails, so I clean them as carefully as I can. I will not be allowed to touch the baby if my hands are dirty. Mother is a stickler for clean hands and non-sticky babies. The sun is getting lower outside the kitchen window and still they are not back. I want to play outside, but I am not allowed without Nanny, and I don't want Father to be cross when they come home. He will be worried about Mother and the baby, and he will fuss at me if I cause any trouble, even if the trouble is only in his mind. So I sit at the kitchen table and watch the tiny flies outside dance in the dying light of the setting sun, all orange and rust and dusty dust, and I must have dozed because suddenly I am awakened by the sound of the car doors slamming and Father's voice unusually hushed as he goes around to open Mother's door. I run to the window and watch as he helps her out of the car, and she is holding the baby, but it is so swaddled I can hardly see it. The shock of the crisp fall air hits the baby and it lets out a thin, high wail. Hurry, Mother says, and Father rushes to open the door for her and for it. Nanny hears them, and so does Housekeeper, and they come quietly hurrying from their silent corners to wait at the foot of the stairs, beaming as Mother trails in, exhausted from the work of first producing this baby and then carrying it the few feet from the guest drive through the front door. Nanny and housekeeper coo and simper over the baby. Father looks for me, but I am still hiding in the kitchen, suddenly shy. I peer around the doorway and watch them all as father introduces the new baby to the house, to Nanny, and to the housekeeper, and, by proximity, to me. It is a boy, he says proudly. His name is Christopher. Christopher! cry nanny and housekeeper, and me too, except for me it is a whisper, heard only by the kitchen. Christopher. Mother hands him to nanny and leans over to kiss him, once on his tiny wrinkled forehead, before sweeping past the stairs to her bedroom. I will take dinner on a tray in my room after I wash the hospital off me, she calls back to housekeeper. Something warm. Father looks around for me, but I have left the kitchen and I never hide in his study, so it is not likely he will find me. I have a place under the stairs I like to go, much too small for them, and so I hole up there with my doll and a book and a blanket. They know I will only come out when I am ready, so they leave me be, and I stay there until the rushing around and the cooking of dinner has all settled and I hear Nanny and Housekeeper taking their own dinner in the kitchen. And then I set my book down and slide out from the nook under the stairs, and quietly, so quietly, without any hurry or flurry, I go up the stairs and into the nursery to see my baby brother. He is in the bassinet, still all swaddled, 
His hands are wrapped so he cannot scratch himself with his baby nails on the soft, precious skin of his face. He is awake, and he looks at me with his dark eyes that might be blue and might be black, but are most probably a shade of dark brown, much like my own. But for a brief moment, I let myself believe I see sapphires where his eyes should be. Christopher, I whisper. Prudence, he whispers back. And for a moment, I just stand there, shocked. His little lips are puckered a perfect Cupid's bow. His tiny mouth could not have moved at all. I look around the room, but all is as it should be. There is no one else here, no one else who could have spoken. The stuffed animals are silent. I am not supposed to touch him, not without nanny or mother or father, but they are not here. I tell myself, They will never know. And after all, he is my baby brother. So I reach down and light as a feather, as soft as a wish. I stroke his baby cheek with the side of my finger, and the tiny mouth opens, and I wonder if he will speak again. But instead, he screams and then starts crying in great gulping sobs. I turn and run from the nursery and down the stairs, knowing I will get blamed. I scurry into my hidey hole under the stairs and close myself off just as Nanny goes rushing up the stairs to see what is wrong. I hear her feet in her house shoes, thudding solidly on each step, and then she is calling to mother and father to come quickly. Housekeeper has left me a sandwich and a glass of milk just outside the kitchen door. I sneak out as quick as that and grab them. And then, when I am back in my place under the stairs, I eat my sandwich and drink my milk and try to ignore the howling from upstairs. I must have slept under the stairs, for when I wake, I am still there. Normally I wake in my bed, you see, so this is quite unusual, but not as unusual as having a baby brother come home. He must have scratched his face. Babies do that, housekeeper is saying to Nanny as I slink into the kitchen. There is a platter of pancakes on the table, and I take one and listen as they talk. He had those mittens on when he came home, Nanny says, and she seems upset waving her hands, hair a little snarled. Mother won't like that. Him such a tiny thing. No way could his nails even do that. It looks bad, like a cat got him, Nanny tells her, voice suddenly low. Maybe they don't want me to hear them. I take another pancake when they're not looking, and I decide to play outside today. It looks like rain, but no one will care. Everyone will be concerned with how the baby scratched himself. It is very hard to be noticed in a house that has a new baby in it. I am still excited he is home, but I am missing the way things were before, and it has only been one day. I go up to see him. Mother is in the nursery. She has fed him and is holding him, humming a soft tune. 
and his blue, black, brown eyes are closing as I come in. He has a wicked-looking scratch on his cheek. It wasn't there last night. It was right where I had touched him. I wonder if after I left, he somehow managed to scratch himself out of spite. Mother has her eyes closed, and I can see she is very tired. Her arms are loosening, and I don't want her to drop him. As she drowses, she starts to let him go, and I catch him, and he is as light as a dream, although heavy with sleep, and I carry him to his bassinet and set him down at once, not at all wanting a repeat of the screaming from last night. As I set him down, his eyes open, and he glares at me darkly, with such hatred in his eyes that I do not understand it. I am your big sister. But he glares at me with such violence in his eyes, as if my very touch were poison, and I back away, away, and out of the room. When I look back, he is still giving me the evil look, and I run down the hall to my own room and slam the door so the strong oak will stand between us. I do not think I like this baby brother. Hours later... Again the crying, the wailing, the running of feet. How did he get on the floor? Nanny asks. And Mother, frightened, murmurs something. Now, Mrs. Hamilton, Nanny says, and Mother's voice sharpens. This time I hear her. She must have done it, she cries. It was prudence. Nanny tries to soothe her and I sink into my bed covering myself with the blankets. I meant to play outside today. I should have played outside today. Father comes looking for me, but I can tell he doesn't mean it. His heart isn't in it. When he does not easily find me, he just goes back downstairs, muttering, and shuts himself in the study. I pass Mother in the hallway, and her eyes are dazed, stupefied, possibly even drugged. She looks right past me. She looks through me. And I wonder if she is angry with me, if she blames me for whatever happened to the baby. I see how her eyes won't meet mine, and I believe that she is and does. She is in another one of her silent spells, I tell myself. Daddy told me to just ignore them, that they would pass. And so I do not speak to her either. We just pass each other like this, and then I go down to the kitchen where there is soup on the stove for lunch, and I eat the hot broth, rich, and the little chunks of white meat and the carrots and onions. This is the best soup, my favorite, and I wonder if Housekeeper made it thinking of me. The baby is crying upstairs while I eat the thin wail traveling even through the heavy wooden walls of the house, all the way into my ears, winding into my brain. This baby is the worst. Somehow the days pass. The baby cries. Mother sleeps and feeds him. Father works. And nanny and housekeeper take care of all of us with their strong hands and their stronger hearts. Thank goodness for nanny and housekeeper. Otherwise, none of us would eat and mother would cry in her room all day. 
It is suddenly Sunday, and the baby has been home almost a full week. The scratch on his cheek is mostly healed, and Yanni says his fall didn't hurt him. So I tiptoe into the room while the sun is high in the sky. He is again in the bassinet. His mittened hands wave in the air, and his eyes are watching them, like a kitten watches a mouse. Hello, Christopher, I say, and slink around the doorway and into his room. His hair is growing. Soon, he will have the golden curls I have always pictured. I reach down, but do not touch his face, afraid of what happened last time. I just let my hand hover near him. I am your big sister, and I'm very excited you are home, I tell him. His eyes watch my face. He watches my mouth move as I speak. Then he shakes his head and goes back to waving his hands in the air. His tiny hands seem to swat at mine, and I laugh and I laugh, and when I look back at his face again, it is turning blue. I turn to run from the room, screaming for Nanny, and he is horribly silent behind me. I slam the door and call for Nanny and run down the stairs to find her, but she is already running up. She runs into the room and picks him up and holds him to her shoulder. She swats him on the back firmly, once, twice, and then a third time. He coughs up a black marble that shines in the air all the way down to the floor, where it hits with a thud and doesn't roll anywhere as a marble should. It is one of my marbles. I keep them in a special place below the stairs. A baby could not do that. Not so fresh and new as he is. He could not have gotten down the stairs and into the place where I keep them, hidden from the light and prying hands that might throw them away. Mother hates them, so I must always keep them away. His eyes are closed, my little brother, and his face is no longer blue. As he breathes and falls into a heavy, dreamless sleep, I worry. He might not be a real baby. He might be a demon. In this house, anything is possible. I must watch him closely. My parents are angry with me again. The baby has red marks on him. I am not to touch him at all, ever. They yell my name, and so I run to my place under the stairs and hold my doll, who is definitely not a demon, and I wish Christopher had never come home to cause all this trouble. I do not know how he gets the marks on him. If I so much as breathe near him, something bad happens, and then I get blamed. They say I am not letting Mother sleep, either. There are broken mirrors and broken dishes, and maybe I do it, maybe I don't. But it is as if they have forgotten I exist now that there is a new baby. They only remember me to yell at me. I dream of running away, running down to the lake, building my own shelter there and living with my doll and my marbles. Housekeeper will bring me food, and I will never see Nanny again. Nanny has never liked me. I vow that I will avoid the demon baby, and I play behind the curtains while father takes his tea in the drawing room. He looks up and frowns when I make the slightest noise, and he rustles his paper to let me know he is displeased. I try to be more quiet. 
From upstairs, I hear the high, thin wail of the baby. Mother is sleeping. He must not disturb her. Father rustles his paper again, annoyed. Nurse and housekeeper in the kitchen, having their tea and gossiping about us. I forget my vow and dart out from behind the curtain while Father reads his paper, and I drift up the stairs, quickly, hoping to quiet him before he disturbs the whole house. He has tangled himself up in his swaddling, and he has somehow pulled off his mittens and scratched his own face. I unwind the swaddling, and I pick him up for the first time and hold him. He weighs nothing. He feels insubstantial in my arms, like a breath, or like a new kitten, but he does not squirm. He lets me hold him, and now, suddenly, we are at peace together, my new brother and I. He is not a demon. He is just a baby, one whose nails have outgrown his sense. He must be protected from himself, swaddled and restrained, but I do not like it. When he is older, he will crawl and try and put everything in his mouth, like my marbles and the bits of broken glass that are always in the house. When he walks, he will try to drown himself in the creek. There are so many dangers in this world, in this house, in this family. I am worried about him, my baby brother. I wrap him carefully, as best I can, and set him back down in his bassinet. And then I retie the tiny mittens on his hands, and I lean down, and down, and down and kiss his tiny rosebud mouth, and his cheeks, and his tiny nose, until for a brief second his breath is mine. Hours later, I am playing in the kitchen under the table when the screaming starts. Mother has gone upstairs to feed the baby, and her screaming is loud, too loud, and I start to bang my head against the table to shut her out. I hear Nanny's footsteps above me as she runs to the nursery, and then Father's heavy tread up the stairs, and they are all very emotional and dramatic. Father phones for the doctor, who comes and shakes his head, sorrow etched on his face. Another crib death, he tells them, and he sets Christopher back down in his bassinet just as I did, except that Christopher is not moving. He is not breathing. It is a shame your family has experienced so much tragedy, the doctor says, walking with father to the door, where he pauses. Maybe it's time to think about what all this is doing to your poor wife, the doctor says, and pats my father on the arm. As soon as the doctor is driven off, my father shakes off the soothing spell of the doctor's words and he starts screaming my name and running through the house. Prudence, you awful, wicked girl, he yells and runs to the kitchen and to the drawing room, but he cannot find me if I do not wish to be found. I hold Christopher's last breath in my throat. It is very strong, the last breath of a new baby, and with that strength I can do anything I want. I rattle the chandeliers. I throw glasses from the cabinets. I slam all the doors at once, cutting off my mother's constant crying from upstairs.
Why does she cry for so long? Did she cry like this for me? He was barely here after all, not like me. Father runs through the house like a madman, scratching at the walls, kicking at the boards. He hears the hollowness under the stairs and he keeps kicking until he breaks through and then he rips the wood apart with his bare hands and then he digs at the soft earth until he finds my treasures. What is this? What is this? He cries, pawing through my things, my doll, my marbles, all the little bones. I feel a cold shock when he touches one that must be one of mine. I do not like him touching my things, all the treasures I've collected so carefully through the years. So I run screaming through the walls, smashing the windows to distract him. But he will not be distracted now that he has found my things. Prudence! he yells again. And Nanny comes running down the stairs. Mr. Hamilton, you know Prudence is long gone from this earth. Please come sit and I will get you a drink. Please be quiet. The missus is inconsolable upstairs and all this noise is not helping her. Nanny stops when she gets downstairs and she sees all the broken things. I pause to watch her. She was my nanny too, once. She takes a deep breath and touches my father on the shoulder. He jerks as if to warn her off. In his hands are tiny bones, and he is sobbing, sifting through the dirt, holding them up. What is this? Nurse asks him, starting to back away when she sees. Bones, he says, and reaches down to grab another handful of dirt and treasure. All my babies, all of them. I creep down the stairs. They cannot see me. They haven't seen me in years. My children, he cries and clenches his fists until the bones cut his hands and his blood mingles with the dirt under the stairs. I feel something then, a little tickle in my heart, and I inch closer to him, the better to see the dirt on his hands and the blood and the tears on his face. Nanny leaves him to his grief. She tells housekeeper to clean the glass up so mother doesn't cut herself. Housekeeper is very pale and she looks like she wants to leave. I do not think she will last much longer in this house. Unlike me. I hold on to Christopher's breath in my throat and I wonder when they will have another baby. Another baby.